The Barra Media Podcast Network is proud to have United Harvest as our presenting sponsor. Founded by farmers and ranchers, United Harvest brings the finest meats directly to your door via the internet and overnight delivery. United Harvest pays qualifying ranchers more than 75% above market prices to procure their top cattle. Owning their own butcher shop, cuts are carefully crafted, vacuum sealed, and flash frozen for ultimate freshness after a 14-day wet-age process. Unique to United Harvest is that their grass-raised cattle are finished on cold potatoes, creating an amazing buttery flavor that is unmatched. I'm going off script here. I have this stuff. Very, very good. Back on script now. In addition to premium cattle, many with Krebs Ranch genetics, shout out Cattle Pro, shout out Jake Scott, United Harvest offers Hooterite pork, raised by whole communities committed to pork excellence up in Canada, Anderson Ranch's grass-fed Oregon lamb, and Masami Japanese American Wagyu Angus Cross cattle. The Hooterite pork tastes like it's been marinated in apple juice for a week. The lamb, it's not from New Zealand, American-made, that's all I got to say. And uh, come on, Wagyu, it's incredible. I'm offering you 15% off by typing in the discount code FRIENDS15 in the discount box. Go to unitedharvest.com today. Go to their discount box. Well, you got to buy something. Buy something. Put it in the cart. Go to the discount box. Put in FRIENDS15. 15% off, okay? I just give them a two-minute ad, okay? Very, very good company. will guarantee you will fall in love with these steaks. UnitedHarvest.com. This is the show with Cannon Brown. I wasn't seeing the rate of adoption on this philosophy. And so that really, Jeff and I said, hey, we got to bring Silicon Valley ideas to the table to help the ranchers and farmers of this country, you know, maintain their their standard of living. And in fact, we really want to improve it. So that last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another week of the show. I'm your host, Cannon Brown, and here at the Barra Media Podcast Network, we are moving up in the world, as you can see and hear from the beginning of the episode. We've got some ads, and although this episode is in correlation uh, with the company that is advertising on our network now, I do not think that this interview or episode is an ad. I, I really, I mean, we talk a, a lot about a, uh, some intricate details in terms of the future of the meat industry uh, and, and what United Harvest is doing to try to secure a new path that we can take in terms of the meat industry, in terms of get, moving profits back to the farmer and rancher. Uh, now I sound like the ad, I'm so sorry. Uh, but honestly, this company is doing some real, real good, and and we get into some really futuristic topics. I think not really. Uh, that's kind of just a little, uh, what is that, clickbait kind of. Um, but we talk about. I mean, they're from Silicon Valley. These guys. I mean, they're they are in it. Uh, so I I really wanted to pick their brains in terms of what the future of the meat industry is going to look like. And I think we had a really good conversation about it. So um, uh, I talk too much, obviously. So we are going to get to it right now. Okay, that's enough of me talking. Let's do it. Mr. Jeff Perfect and Matt Roberson. 
You're safer here than any place else. Now just lock yourself in and keep quiet. Well, welcome back to another week uh, of the show with Cannon Brown. I'm here with two special guests. Um, it's the first time I've done a podcast with two people. I'm a little nervous. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> but I have Mr. Uh, Matt Roberson and uh, Jeff Perfect, and they are the owners of United Harvest, which has just come on to be the presenting sponsor of the Barra Media Podcast Network. So uh, me and Matt had talked about doing an interview together um, uh, with all three of us, and I thought it was a great idea to kind of show everybody what you guys are doing without the ads, without everything. I, I want to hear the nitty-gritty things about United Harvest, uh, and I'm just excited to talk to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank yeah, you. no problem. Uh, so kind of give me the background. I, I mean, let's just jump right into it. Let's jump right into United Harvest. Uh, give me the background. What is it? Sure. Obviously, I know yeah, what it is, a... but we got to tell everybody else. Yeah, this is Matt. Um, so it's a website that helps connect consumers who care about quality, ethical treatment of animals, and ethical treatment of our farmers and ranchers, the ag community, the ag producer community. It's as simple as that. And in terms of like the ranches that you work with, I know you work with five ranches, correct? Yeah. And our plan is we're going to be rounding out that to 12 and basically to cover each month of the year. And then from there, we'll expand and add additional butcher shops and think of it like a hub and spokes model. So hmm. for each butcher shop and qualified butcher, we're going to be adding uh, 12 unique ranches around that butcher shop and then uh, basically supplying the highest quality, uh, in this case, cattle. But also we have Petterite pork and we have Anderson ranches, high quality grass-fed Oregon lamb. And then, of course, we'll add seafood and whatnot to that. But the concept is that we want to uh, be able to work with ranchers to provide their highest quality animals that that finish and feed out nicely and then bring on these custom family owned butcher shops uh, to really finish the finish the product for that consumer. Now, Jeff, uh, ah. how did you get roped yeah. into this? Deal? Uh, That's my question. Yeah. I've heard so a lot. It's a great from question. Matt. How did uh, you and it's get actually into quite it? an interesting story. Um, and it all starts back to London, England. Um, I lived in London for the last couple years. And obviously, you know, we main, I maintain my relationship with Matt as far as being financial advisor, et cetera. And Matt and I have talked uh, in the past just about the industrial food supply chain and the brittleness and inflexibility of it and how he and I are both huge foodies. And how we love to find good food, but how we found it difficult in this country. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, very bad, in my opinion, grocery store food. Um, and so you kind of ask yourself, what does that do in London, England? Well, we were living in London during COVID and talking to Matt. And he was saying how, like, you know, Costco had no meat. They were rationing meat. Wendy's wasn't serving hamburgers. You couldn't find meat if your life depended on it. And I was kind of laughing to myself during all of this because here I was living in this amazing city in London, and I would walk the three blocks from my house to my butcher shop, and he was fully stocked. And I asked him, I said, you know, are you following the news? 
what's going on in the U.S. How you know they basically have the fundamentally euthanizing cattle in the field because they can't get them harvested, and yet here we are in the U.K. and everything's fine. And he said, "Yeah, it's because we never moved to this big industrialized food supply chain that has all of the." brittleness and inflexibility that goes with that type of scale. Uh, we've always maintained this very much farm or ranch to butcher shop to table model. And we've maintained the butchers maintain those relationships with those ranchers and they know them and they know them well. And so that, that system just never evolved in the UK and they weren't as worried about building massive scale and then squeezing the rancher and I was struck by this parallel conversations I was having, one with my local butcher in London, and then arguably, you know, this very different one that I was having with Matt. And he and I just looked at that problem together and said, we got to do something about this. We've got to find a way to bring great. We, we knew that there was great quality and great product in America, but that it was being it was either hidden or it really wasn't being surfaced. And we knew that we had to find these great producers, uh, these great ranchers who cared for their animals, who went the extra mile and uh, knew that uh, they were probably being underpaid and they were being squeezed by all the layers in the system. And we needed to reveal those to consumers. And, and for us really just to find them and use our knowledge and technology and kind of get out of the way at some level and let them do their job and we would just be a conduit between them and the consumers that value it. It's interesting that you bring up uh, like living in London, England and, and living close to local butcher shops that work with local farmers and, and how the industry is set up over there. It's almost as I was listening to you say it, I was having an American opinion already about it. Like, oh, well, yeah, they don't have the regulations or the inspection, but like that typical stuff that I'm like going through my head about. Uh, but then I'm also on the other end being like, well, I mean, yeah, but that's what you get when, I mean, we have this, like you said, we had that meat shortage because of the, all the regulations that have been put and because we've kind of, built this industry into some powerful companies that uh, regulate a lot of it, it's definitely hindered our relationship between high quality meats or even local meats in general. I mean, a lot of people would get a lot of benefit out right. of eating yeah. meat that is well, locally and, sourced. As you know, I, I mean, look, we mm -hmm. abide by the USDA guidelines. Our our butcher shop is USDA certified and our, you know, our USDA rep is there watching oh, course, every step we take. But I guess the from my perspective, it was this idea that, and, and Matt can share a little bit more too, but the idea that these ranchers uh, had been squeezed so badly by these, you know, these, the big industrial food chain so that they really didn't have a lot of incentive to uh, uh, invest more in their product. It was just, you know, the, a race to the bottom. Um, and so I actually think we can, we can still deliver great product uh, even with the regulations in place, but we just got to, we got to remove some of the middlemen, quite frankly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. Back in February and March, we were, I was doing math with the clients, and as this cattle price was dropping, you know, as much as thirty-five percent or more, <clears throat> we were just calculating how much we were going to lose this year. And you know, in the last ten years, I can't remember how many years in a row we've been losing money, but 
for all the ranchers, whether you own your own ranch, you lease ground, you have different styles of ranching. And, you know, I'd gotten into ranching about four years ago just for fun with a few clients. And uh, we were supplying grass-fed animals to the Whole Foods chain. And we kept doing the calculations and whatnot. And with the water changes in California, again, it looked like we were moving from making a hundred to hundred fifty dollars a head to losing three, four, five hundred dollars a head. And so my sense of curiosity caused me to dive into this deeper. And Jeff's right, you know, we've gone from ten thousand mostly family-owned butcher shops forty years ago to maybe less than eighteen hundred today. And you now you have the 85% of the beef supply, supply in our country is going through four major multinational companies. And again, three of those four are non-US owned companies. So mm. then you start to worry a little bit about, okay, is this, uh, is this truly capitalism or are there other things that are at hand? And of course, I know ranchers have been asking themselves the same questions, but instead of sitting back and saying, woe is me, you know, Jeff and I got a little perturbed and said, we need to, we need to get, you know, we need to get on this and how do we solve this problem? And then we started talking to some of our ranchers and how do we do it? And then we started talking to some butcher shops and boy, we learned a lot. And I think we were able to diagnose a good majority of the problems and, uh, one of the other visions that I had, and I'd been talking to clients about this, is that there was a kind of a futurist lecture out of Stanford named uh, Toby, Tony Saba, and he had really come up with a presentation on where he sees the future of transportation. And the light turned on to my head that whether those in the ranching community realize this or not, the world is changing at a very rapid pace. Uh, and I do live in Silicon Valley. And what what these guys in Silicon Valley have in terms of their vision for the pace of change and how they've basically demolished every industry in their way, uh, they're eventually going to turn their eyes to the food industry. And they're going to, unless ranchers and farmers are ready to evolve at a very fast pace, they're going to see them themselves at the same uh, level as manufacturing in the rest of the country. So uh, I've obviously been talking to my clients about this and how do we, um, you know, solve this from a ranching and a farming perspective. And uh, I wasn't seeing the rate of adoption um, on this philosophy. And so that really, Jeff and I said, hey, we got to bring Silicon Valley ideas to the table to help the ranchers and farmers of this country, you know, maintain their uh, their standard of living. And in fact, we really want to improve it. So, yeah, gosh, dang, that's a lot, man. <laughs> I mean, that is, I think you guys are, are on the right track though. And that's, I mean, like you said, Silicon Valley has been moving and they've been pushing every industry in their direction. In terms of, um, I mean, what do you see change in both of you? I mean, it, this is for both of you to ask. You guys are right there uh, kind of in the mix with it. What do you think is, is going to be the most drastic change in the agriculture industry to hit it, the first drastic one to hit it? Well, I think, you know, we've been seeing the use of genetics the last 15 years as they come out to dramatically improve the uh, the quality of, let's say, the beef industry and, of course, all the other industries. What we know is that the dairy industry is probably at the foremost of this 
And but you know the beef industry is now finally getting behind it, and we're now seeing dramatic improvement. And in, in let's say the last ten years since two thousand nine, from how animals are graded. So I believe uh, in two thousand nine animals were grading at two percent prime, and I believe today we're somewhere in that ten to twenty percent range. And for example, the cattle we just killed that are owned by myself and. Uh, Another client of mine at Lone Oak Springs Ranch, they uh, they killed 50-50, high choice and prime. So that is an unbelievable herd. Of course, we've been working on this herd for some time and working on the practices with uh, uh, Cameron King, who runs our cattle up there, and uh, using all those genetic uh, and, of course, uh, uh, you know, the care modifiers to make sure those animals are taken care of properly, that are fed properly, um, that are harvested properly. We were able to to do that. So what we're continuing to work on, I know what the industry is in a very tough competition right now on improving the genetic makeup of the herd. And it's not just from looking at the animal, which is, again, not my expertise at all. I can't look at an animal and tell you if that you know, good, bad, or or otherwise. That's quite, that's why I enjoy listening to the podcast on your network because it's very educational for somebody who doesn't have that expertise. But I can use my knowledge of math and how EPDs and genetics work and help to determine how can I improve the baseline or the underlying genetics of this herd, marrying that with the uh, the expertise of that rancher who can eyeball an animal and say, okay, that. That animal has truly superior genetics, and we can put marry those two ideas together and come up with a superior uh, program for that animal. We're kind of in a money ball situation here in the uh, agriculture industry. Oh, a yeah. lot of people are no, still on. Analogy. You guys know that movie Moneyball? You know, yes, I'm assuming. A's, Oakland A's. You guys are from that, that area. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming you guys you guys know the story. I really think we're at the cusp of something, but. And this might be an, uh, a dumb question or an ignorant question, but are, is, is the genetic science, um, is it available to the local farmer or just the, the average guy trying to get by or average uh, girl trying to get by? Is that genetic science available for them? Is it affordable? Yes. Uh, you know, you can get various uh genetic reports on your animals from nine to let's say forty dollars per animal so if you have a lot of animals it's a lot of money if you don't have a lot of animals it's not a ton of money but uh you can do that at any time at throughout the process and uh but what i you know what i've heard from uh people i talk to who are experts and uh you know the various experts that we work with you know of course cameron king and cody graves in Missouri is that uh, we're really in the first or second inning of this genetic game. We really don't quite understand exactly how they all work. They fit together. And uh, so the nice part about it is if you haven't started playing the game, it's not like you've missed a ton, but if you're, if you haven't started in five years, then uh, unfortunately you're probably going to miss the game. So this is the right time for you to start looking at your herds and making those improvements in it, uh, or else your cattle are going to get discounted dramatically. It's almost like um, uh, going more towards the genetic side of it gives 
kind of an advantage to the bigger companies, though, if you think about it. I mean, they're probably the ones on the forefront of the new newest technologies and and all that stuff. So, I mean, I think you're right in terms of uh, genetics being the new thing in terms of every single industry out there when it comes to growing things or anything like that farming. Um, but I think it's going to be hard still, uh, uh, even once it goes that way for the local farmer, um, to make a buck and, and to make his money back. That's, I mean, that's why we're having this conversation. That's why you guys are doing what you're doing, obviously. Um, but yeah, that's why we built the front end of the website. So if we can marry up those consumers who want to buy the best product, then we can definitely marry them up with the rancher who wants to provide the best quality product. And again, we're not bringing in, you know, the big fortune 500 companies into this. This is really an endeavor focused mainly on helping mom and pop uh, farmers and ranchers. And then eventually we'll add artisans to the group. Um, you know, it's really meant as a labor of love to help these people but, out. You know, the one uh, thing I'd say too to, to that country, candidate is so, that the, the, the yeah. The reason why I have hope and and that it's not going to be the domain of just large companies or large ranchers is because technology works like that and at such speed and at such scale and it brings prices down at such an interesting way that it does be it democratizes tech technology fundamentally democratizes things for everybody and you know kind of building on what Matt was saying about the website and that for me that's the really interesting thing. I, I don't have like Matt, I don't have background in genetics or, and, and I'm certainly not, um, a trained rancher. Uh, but what I do understand is the front end side of it is how to use the internet and how to use, uh, really aggressive performance marketing strategies, um, understand Instagram, Facebook, affiliate marketing, all of the sort of modern day marketing tools and sales tools that have been democratized because of technology and the internet. And apply those to the mom and pop and the, the you know the the family ranch and give them that opportunity to benefit from it because it is a little tricky. I get it, uh, and it, you know you you know I've spent a lot of my career working in it, but what I love about it is it's been you know it's been democratized so that we can all use it now. It's not the domain of just the largest companies in the world. I know you're already hearing about United Harvest, but we're gonna throw in a little thirty second ad in here really quick because they paid for an ad. Many of you know the difference between farm-raised and store-bought meat. Many of you know the difference. Everybody knows this difference. By offering the highest quality ag products directly to consumers, United Harvest is able to both bypass middlemen, pushing profits back to the American farmer and rancher, and providing the highest quality meats to you. No coal cows here. Please go to unitedharvest.com Type in the discount code FRIENDS15 and enjoy 15% off your first order. Ladies and gentlemen, these are premium cuts. I know you're hearing all about it. It's just, it's a great company. Check out unitedharvest.com. You'll be very impressed. That's why I love what you guys are doing. And I like, I mean, going back to what Matt was saying at the very beginning of this conversation uh, in terms of creating uh, local butcher shops and, and building around um the farms around them and and creating kind of just niche communities everywhere and been, being able to sell meat yep. anywhere to people that want yep. high quality steaks or pork or lamb 
Yeah, as you know, we we got out there, and Jeff and I are admitted foodies. We're not the skinniest people in the world, and you know we're we're really passionate about finding that highest quality product. So uh, we we believe we did a really good job at sourcing uh, probably the best lamb that we've both ever had, which is Anderson Ranches um, in Central Oregon. Some of the best pork we've ever had, and I know, Kenny, you know some things about pork, and um, you know we and we know there's a lot more out there that we're going to try. And then, from the cattle perspective, you know we do something unique in that our cattle are finished on cold potatoes up in uh, Southern Oregon, Northern California, because that's where they grow the potatoes for a lot of the fast food entities. And these cold potatoes, they could just have a nick on it or something um, the cattle absolutely love. And what it creates is this white, luxurious, butter-like tasting fat on that on that animal. And it's just the most delicious thing I've ever had next to a, a Wagyu. And uh, to me, it, it really changed my life. And once I shared that with Jeff, um, you know, he could talk about it, but I really believe it's a game changer in terms of quality. And again, we're not, uh, you know, a believer that corn is bad or barley is bad or grass finished is bad. You know, we've traditionally have eaten my grass finished animals and myself being a hunter, I enjoy eating the occasional elk or deer, but there's really nothing like eating a steak that's been properly raised and I mean, just it's a special experience, which those of us who've you know eaten that, I mean, can attest to. I don't to. know. I, there's not much more I can say. Other than <laughs> I probably, uh, yeah. I every night I try to tell myself I probably shouldn't eat another ribeye. <laughs> <laughs> well, last night uh, we cooked these tenderloin tails that were yeah. wrapped in a roast. That butcher Steve wrapped in a roast, and uh, my wife's like, "That what is that?" And I said, "That's a wagyu tenderloin tail." It's like that is the best meat I've ever had in my whole yeah. life, and oh, uh, now she considers herself ruined. So, and of course, my kids eat it now; they're spoiled forever. But yeah, maybe Jeff, tell them what your chef up in um, uh, which one particular said about the... that steak. Oh yeah, yeah. So there's a I. I... There's oh, the a one where he woke up restaurant and... that I frequent up here and I was talking to the chef and he placed an order on um on us and so we had sent it to him. He lives in he lives in Reno and uh he sent me a note right after he cooked it and he said and this guy the, I mean this guy's a high end chef. I mean, he's and he's he's a classic chef in that he's kind of negative and he you know he generally wants to be critical uh because that's just what chefs do. And they're always hard on themselves to try and make themselves better. Uh, and, and I knew that he wanted to be critical and I knew he kind of at some level wanted not, not didn't want us to fail, but you know, he wanted us to suffer a little bit. And so I sent him a bunch of ribeyes and he cooked one And the next morning. Well, he woke up and he sent me a note. He's like, I have never in my entire life of my 47 years on this earth, ever woken up thinking about a steak like I did today. And I was like, wow, that's the ultimate of it. You know, and the, what he described it as yeah. tasting like butter and cream. And then he said, and it had hints of toasted popcorn. And I was like, this guy is analyzing our steak like like a connoisseur of wine. And oh. and that's something Matt and I have talked a lot about, which is like, 
if you do this right, I actually believe you could pull steak out of the sort of, you know, the bottom shelf wine world and turn it into something like wine and coffee where you are talking about tasting notes and you are talking about flavor profiles. And that's exactly what he did. I'll tell you what, I'm trying to, if, right. if that happens, I'm trying to be a sommelier of steak. Please I agree. Yeah, I up. I'm going to be one of those. You know, 50 years ago in California, people would just drink this jug wine and be happy. (laughs) But, you know, the Italians or the Croatians or other ethnicity groups would buy grapes from these special vineyards and then make their own wine. And then eventually that became this whole wine industry where people would do wine tours. Well, what's to say that people aren't doing rancher tours? in the next 10 years because each ranch and each genetic profile and the way those animals are raised is going to create a different flavor. You just need to train the customers to realize that here's what you're looking for. And you you should go out and try that because we really believe that these ranchers and farmers are true artisans and they deserve our respect. And that's why, you know, Jeff and my faces are not on the website. It's really about, making these ranchers and farmers the heroes because even when we're locked up in our houses and cities during the pandemic they're out there working minus 20 degrees 120 degrees rain no rain wind they're out there working and uh, these people really do deserve our respect but they also bring an expertise and an excellence to the table that we are not respecting in our current business model across the country and so that jeff and i really want to make these people the heroes and the famous individuals we hope that this wine model will flow over to the uh rancher farmer model and this works the same with avocados almonds walnuts apples the whole nine yards lemons and uh, you know luckily these these folks are all clients of mine so i've been able to try and boy once you learn what the difference tastes like, it's really opens your mind up to uh, what the world can really be like. Well, that's, that's, you kind of led me into what I wanted to talk about next kind of perfectly. And I wanted to talk about your guys's relationships with each of your guys's ranches that you work with and the farmers that are handling uh, the cattle, sheep and hogs. Uh, I know you guys put a lot of emphasis uh, as a company into uh, pushing out the middlemen and, and taking uh uh, uh, more profit back to the uh, producer. If you guys could speak on that just a little bit more, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So the currently the fat cattle market has a, a fat cattle that trades between a dollar and a dollar ten. We'll call it. And at a fourteen hundred pound animal, that's fourteen hundred bucks to fifteen hundred bucks. It, you know, obviously the far, the ranchers lose the money at that point. Um. We've developed a model where we believe we can push down as much as $2,600 per steer. Of course, there's a a slide back for heifers, but per steer. And um, that's a combination of an upfront payment as well as a bonus based on how those animals cut out. In addition to that that family's willingness to help engage the public in, in marketing and being a face, allowing us to show their face and their ranches on the website because again we're selling this to people who are mainly stuck in cities who look at concrete jungles all day and they dream of being on the ranch of course 
once you're on the ranch, you realize how much work it is. It's uh, it's not always the most luxurious lifestyle, but it, you know, for those who believe it's rewarding to them, um, you know, it's the ideal place to live. And uh, so we're really trying to push those profits back down to the rancher and farmer. In addition, in our butcher shop, you know, we're pushing down uh, very, very fair wages that are dramatically above minimum wage, and uh, and obviously. Uh, full benefits for our full-time employees as well as retirement plans and whatnot. So uh, that's our philosophy, and we're going to maintain that throughout the system. Uh, does that help answer your question? Yeah, definitely. And and Jeff, when were you kind of on board the whole time when when Matt was saying, "Hey, we got to push more profits back to the farmer," or were you kind of hesitant about it? I mean, you're a businessman. Yeah. You both are businessmen. You. Profits are important. Uh, when it comes down I, I to mean, it, were you completely on board, or did you kind of have to think about it for a little uh, bit? Convince, convince me uh, was he said, "Let's go up to um, Klamath Falls. That's where our butcher facility is. Let's go meet the people uh, that are that are raising these animals. Let's go sit down with their families and eat with them. Let's uh, let's tour their ranches. Let's walk a mile in their shoes." And so. Over the, I moved back from London uh, late May, early June. So over the summer, I made multiple trips uh, up to Klamath Falls and actually uh, Corning, California, where the Wagyu Ranch is. And I spent time with these folks. And I, and you know, it, it didn't take me long to realize how right he was and how hardworking and dedicated and passionate these folks were. And you know, maybe, uh, and so, so that was sort of one side of the coin, but the other side of the coin for me was just how angry I was about how I felt like they'd been treated uh, by the larger, you know, harvesters and the middlemen who honestly have, you know, kind of scraped the bottom of their shoe with these guys at some level or their boot with these guys. And, and I and that was the other side of the equation for me that really frustrated me because I felt like the guys that are working the hardest and doing the and producing the product are getting the least amount out of this equation. And that should never happen in business. That fundamentally is like, you know, yoke of slavery type stuff. And that, that really angered me. Yeah, I'm talking to Jeff about the fact that these ranchers, when they lose money, they usually don't have any extra funds because it's been going on so long. So they have to keep mortgaging their land to handle their losses. And then eventually, at some point, the bank will take that land. And we're seeing a, a dramatic event like that in the dairy industry in California. And, um, you know, that's why we really put our foot down and say, we need to stop this. But just to give you some idea, if if we can build this model out properly, that means for one of our ranchers who can supply us with 100 head uh, on a monthly basis, for example, just on that 30-day supply, we can get them about 110000 more a year of income. And does that mean they can improve their herd? Yes. Does it mean they can improve their technology? Yes. Does it mean they can maybe bring one of their kids back to the farm uh, to have a, a real job? Yes. Because we're seeing the average age, as you guys know, farmers creep up, creep up because the kids really see no hope in going back to the farm. And that just means farms are going to get sold. They're going to get bigger and bigger. And under capitalism, you would say, OK, well, you have smarter people who are uh, you know, building that model. But again, we're not when you when you see good and bad meat get flown, thrown in front of your face at the store. 
you as a consumer may not even know, you know, if that's a better or worse piece. In fact, one of the more traumatic things that we've been watching is that they've been importing beef from Africa. And I have nothing against Africa, but this beef is called made in the USA. And so um, we don't know how that animal was treated or how that meat was treated in another country, let alone, you know, on a ranch down the street. So we're, we're very strict in terms of, you know, cattle care. We want to make sure they're humanely treated. They're, uh, they're not fed hormones. They're not injected with horno hormones. They're not injected with antibiotics, those type of things. But you're not going to get those answers when it's coming from a different country. I mean, that, that to me is the most shocking, um, shocking piece of this whole situation that we're importing animals from other countries when our own ranchers are having to kill their fat cattle because they can't put them through the feed yard, all because of uh, economics. Yeah, it was interesting during this pandemic, like, like you know, Matt, I, we've talked about this, but uh, I am a local, I work at a local butcher shop and um it was interesting about halfway through the pandemic, we started getting uh, some boxes of beef in that were only in Spanish. And I was very curious. I was like, Hey, what's this stuff? Oh, uh, that comes from Mexico. We can, we can, uh, we'll just sell that at the select price. I'm like, Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. It, it was just so interesting. Just boxes of JBS meat and then brown boxes with you know, that, Spanish yeah, words on that on note, them. I'll tell like, you, oh, hey, um, sweet, there's a awesome. very large and successful uh, um, meat subscription business in America. Um, I won't mention their name, but I was shocked to learn that, um, and they represent themselves as a great American company, and they probably are, but they're bringing in beef from Australia. And, and I just, again, I scratch my head and think to myself, why do we have to spend, why do we have to fly beef from... 12 to 14 hours away and that just gets you to the west coast uh and then and then sell it in america i mean again i have nothing i have no problem with australian beef and if you want to eat it please eat it but it just doesn't make sense to me why we are you know why we're we're importing australian beef when we've got such great product here in this country um can i say right. the company exactly. yeah, go right ahead <laughs> butcher box how dare you how dare you? And I'm not trying to get a, a an ad from ButcherBox, so we can trash them. It's okay. Like I really think like they do sell themselves as an American company. Hey, get our we're sending high quality meat right to your door. Blah blah blah. Yep. Uh, they send chili. Isn't that their big thing? They'll send you chili and hamburger, whatever. But if they can't even afford to support the American farmer, I don't. I don't know. It's it's an interesting concept, and I hope that people start realizing the importance of helping the American farmer and start realizing the importance uh, of just trying to get the highest quality meat possible. I mean, everybody's finicky yeah. about their meat until they go to the grocery store and they don't even know what marbling is. But if they mm -hmm. go to the restaurant and it comes out uh, two degrees hot or two degrees yeah. cold, they'll send it back. They don't, I mean, yeah. it's just, it comes well, back I, to yeah, communication. Jeff and I have talked about the system when I was trying to explain it. And if you go from the bottom up, the cow-calf operator, because of where the, the economics are in the model and that the person at the end of the day, let's call it the grocery store or whomever, the consumer, since they're not pushing the highest end quality, that cow-calf uh, 
producer is just trying to sell either the backgrounder or the feeder a live animal. You know, they're not today they're not asking for genetics they're not asking for raising records all those type of things now there are some in the natural business that are asking for higher value and uh and making sure that hey you haven't put hormones or antibiotics in the animal but uh, then that if you go to the next tier that backgrounder or that feeder um they're really just trying to sell the guy up the chain a live animal not the greatest just a live animal and then that feeder is then trying to sell the feed yard a live animal. And then the feed yard is just trying to sell the big, uh, you know, the big processors, a live animal. Now there are some premiums if you do get some nice cutouts and things like that, but they're not enough to really incentivize everybody down the chain to pay for the things that we're trying to bring out of those animals, which is, you know, the highest quality care, uh, no antibiotics, nor no hormones, everything that the customer is asking for. So really, we really see ourselves as the intermediary communicator between what the customer really wants and what that rancher and farmer and artisan can produce. Yeah, And we think we can open up that dialogue directly. We can not only create a better animal that the customer wants, but the customer's willing to part with more of their dollars to make every eating experience a wonderful thing. You know, keep in mind, most of us in the cities have been locked up. We can't go to our favorite restaurants. We can't try this and that. And so the other thing the website does, because we deliver, you know, frozen uh, meat to your door, is we're not only providing you a very economical experience that's coming right to your door, but you're also getting better, in our opinion, better than restaurant quality meat that you get to enjoy with your family every night and, uh, you know, for less than a restaurant price. You know, me growing up in a restaurant family, you know, I'm a huge fan of restaurants and what they do, but it looks like given this lockdown is going to go on forever, um, you know, people do need to enjoy uh, different treats in their life. And, and we're offering, you know, in our opinion, the highest quality treat that there is available. Yeah. Well, uh, certainly the lockdown is going to go on forever for you guys. I don't know. About, <laughs> I mean, we've been pretty free in Arizona for a little while. You guys, you guys have been a little crazy up in California for a little bit, but yeah. that's okay. We won't hold it against you. <laughs> yeah, not not from our choice. So yeah. it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you think about uh, what people used to enjoy and experience, it's. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just really traumatic to a lot of us who are in the cities. Uh, and I'm able to get out and go see the cattle and things like that and work with our ranchers. And it's um, I just feel bad for everybody who's stuck in those cities who can't who can't get out. So, yeah, well, I think I think the biggest thing that you guys are, are inferring to when talking about United Harvest and and working with the ranchers is is just trying to get an open line of communication with the consumer uh, mm -hmm. and trying to just educate everybody on the entire process. And may, maybe this question is for you, Jeff, um, in terms of marketing, in terms of um, very distinct marketing and marketing aspects, how important is it is it for you uh, to I mean, try and communicate this process gonna, to the general to public and, um, and try to push it out there? The, you know, the website itself is, is well designed um in my opinion and you know i think it's authentic to what we're trying to do 
but it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't tell the whole story. So we've got to employ different methods of marketing. Um, we are, Matt and I are, um, you know, active, obviously, in the podcast community now, like this one. Um, we want to uh, and have started doing more videos. Uh, we brought on a chef recently. He's kind of like a high-end chef down in L.A. to do a whole series of, you know, simple cooking at home um, uh, lessons or, um, you know, sort of little vignettes and videos. Um We've got to continue to do some uh, more aggressive affiliate marketing. Uh, we've got to step up our Facebook advertising and Instagram advertising. Uh, we need more food influencers um, uh, who are working on our behalf and, you know, cooking with our product and telling our story. Uh, we've got to, you know, back to this idea of this sort of the wine concept. We've got to spend more time telling the story about flavor profiles around around the meat that we're uh, that we're selling. So there's a there's a heck of a lot of work in front of us on the marketing front. Um, you know, some of it will probably resonate really strongly um, and some of it will maybe a little less so. But that's, you know, that's the beauty of marketing, right? You kind of have to you have to do a lot of things to get to a lot of people to so that in, in, in one of them, the message will resonate well with them. Um, one of the interesting things we've heard from some of our, uh, early, um, feedback is people, especially millennials in cities are afraid to cook steak. And this is, this shocked me. I mean, I grew up obviously cooking. My dad cooked steak. My mom cooked steak. I cook steak. My kids even cook steak now. Um, and, but we heard this message like loud and clear that they just, are worried about spending a fair amount of money on something that they're unfamiliar with cooking. And so this is the next uh, wave for us with where Matt and I have found this great chef, Chef Anthony, uh, sorry, excuse me, Chef Andre uh, uh, down in LA. He's an Australian guy. So he really understands barbecuing very well. And we're engaging with him to do almost like a, a Jamie Oliver style. If you know him, he's a British chef. Uh, where you have five ingredients, 30 minutes, and you uh, have probably the best meal of your life. So we're really trying to step up that side so we can help uh, much more urban folks, millennials probably, and who are uncomfortable cooking uh, or afraid of cooking steak and so uh, or other cuts of meat. Like they, they wouldn't know how to cook a roast. They wouldn't know how to cook, um, you know, let's say even um, a, a flat iron or something like that. That's just a different or more unique cut. So I think, you know, we've just got a lot of irons in the fire as it goes. Yeah. Again, have you tried the uh, short ribs? Oh no, dude. That's, I, I know we were talking on the phone today and I told you that I've been kind of hoarding the meat that you guys sent me. Um, <laughs> uh, and the short ribs are going to be for, those are for a special occasion, dude. I mean, I saw those things and I put them on my table and looked yeah. at them for like five or 10 minutes. I wanted to put them in a smoker that second, but I, <laughs> I just, I need to find the right recipe for them because I want to try some different things. And, um, it's just, it's going to be a task that I need to put on the docket. Literally. I'm, I'm your problem right here. I am, I am the millennial that is, um, terrified of cooking meat every night i'm actually not i i'm yeah. not that millennial i i could cook meat almost like three times a week but <laughs> but i I've, i'm used to just like i told matt today i'm just used to cooking 
$6 steaks, $9 steaks at the grocery store right. that it doesn't matter I think, if I like them or not. They are just nutrition for me at this point. So, well, yeah, it's funny. Um, when we started trying this Japanese American Wagyu from Masami Ranch, you know, we were trying to figure out how we were going to cook it on the barbecue because it was so laden with fat. Yeah. Jeff said, let's go back to the, the cast iron. It's, you know, I'm like, I, you know, I want to cook meat outdoors. I want to cook it in the house and uh, really learned how to cook steak on the cast iron. And now it's it's kind of our best area to really control what you're trying to do with a steak versus a grill. Uh, we've also used some, you know, grill mats and things like that. But that that piece of meat is so laden with really luxurious fat that you really if you guys put it on a barbecue it'll create a huge explosion that thing is uh it's just a beautiful yeah. piece of meat and that's the wrong way to that's the wrong way to cook it. you really need to cook it on a cast iron oh yeah i i didn't even think twice that was that's the first thing i reached for that's the first thing i ate was that <laughs> wagyu ribeye as soon as i saw the japanese writing on it i'm like that's what i want right there i'm i'm putting that in the cast iron and i loaded that thing um what did i use rosemary a little bit of butter um covered it the whole time and i cooked it with a new york right next to it and oh gosh i mean i got that on a plate after resting for like five minutes and i could literally just cut it with my fork it was the easiest thing mm. i've ever eaten my entire life and that fat in the middle of the ribeye just spread out uh, my mouth's watering right now i'm having a hard time talking right now you need more. You need more. I need more. But yeah, you know, Jeff and I, we went up there just south of Redding, California, and it's a ranch run mainly by the Japanese people who have moved to our country and used the the Japanese ranching style that they're used to, and they marry that with our culture and uh have produced an amazing animal which is very unique it's not it's not really meant for the the japanese palate meant for the american palate but with the care that that they take in and pride that they do in what the in you know and all the practices they employ there the, the ranch is impeccably clean the feeding uh structure is very very detailed um you know, we were up there doing castrations the other day, and uh, I mean, it is one of the cleanest places I've ever been to on a ranching perspective. And uh, we're, I mean, Jeff and I are just so honored to be working with them, but they're, uh, that ranch is just a beautiful place. And what they do with those animals is extremely special. So if you're looking for a real treat, any of that Wagyu beef that comes from them is, is just amazing. So, yeah. but it's a true treat. Yeah. The funny thing for me is that, you know, it's so rich. I'm used to eating a full, let's say, 12 to 16-ounce steak if I'm really hungry. And if I'm really pushing it hard, I can only eat about half of one because it's just so rich and dense. I don't know, Kenan, if you experienced that, but it just – Oh, that ribeye? Uh, yeah, it's just so oh, dense. It's tough Oh, my to gosh. I was – I actually had the same problem. I wasn't even going to mention it because I didn't want to seem like a baby, but I shared the ribeye with my girlfriend at the time. Um, I said at the time, we're still dating. I, I was just saying at the, time of the, at the time of the night, I don't want her to listen to this and be like, what the heck are you talking about? There you about? go. 
So gosh dang, not editing that out. We're keeping that one in. Um, so I set the ribeye down and we just started cranking on it. And then by the time the ribeye was gone, the New York was sitting there just getting cold. And we were like, I, I was expecting that I was going to be able to eat the New York as well. But I was like, I can't eat that other steak. All that ribeye fat and all that stuff was just so filling. Uh, and honestly, I should have ate the New York first and then ate the uh, ribeye. But uh, it's whatever. Ah, uh, well, it'd be a luxurious tacos uh, the next day. But yeah, I mean, whatever they're doing with their animals, and a lot of it's genetics, but it's also their care. Um, it, it it truly is a magical experience. And, uh, you know, it's funny, Jeff and I had a Wagyu cook-off about three or four months ago and I invited some of his friends over and, uh, every, you know, just, it was a mind-blowing experience. And we all asked ourselves, yeah. why are we not eating this Matt, on a weekly Matt. basis? If we're all gonna... <laughs> yeah. Canada, did I, did I send you pictures? Did I text you pictures of the, uh, the ribeyes that we just cut the other day? Um, I mean, they're they're definitely prime, but our, so. our normal cattle are are going to be as luxurious as um, this wagyu. They're going to taste a little different, but um, that prime rib that's going to come out of those cattle is just going to be amazing. So, um, and again, the nice thing about this is that these are all limited qu quantities, yeah. uh, and so uh, of course each each batch of cattle is going to be different, but. Uh, I can tell you the batch we have now from from our herds are, are really special. I think we really did a good job. And uh, I'm not just saying it because there are some. When you see pictures of these uh, these cattle butchered out, that's amazing. The other thing, the butcher shop that we bought, um, you know, it's really a wonderful experience because our butcher, Steve the Butcher, um, he's been doing it 50 years and he's able to go out and tell us, okay, exactly. Every, whatever you did with those cattle, you want to do that again. Or on those cattle, we're not going to put them in the program because they don't meet your guys' standards. So uh, that's an important thing is you know, nobody in the United Harvest customer family is going to be getting cull cows or any other cattle that don't grade properly, you know, from Steve's grading system. Um, because it's really under Steve's quality control. Yeah. So uh, it's funny. And it, I need to get you and him to talk because, uh, again, he's been doing it 50 years. I mean, he, he knows he can forget more things about cattle than we'll ever know in our lifetime. And, uh, and that's where we really also want to make sure the cattlemen get to know their butcher because they need to know if what they're doing is actually producing results. You know, as you guys know, I'm not a, I mean, there's a lot of show cattle experience on this this network, but I'm not a show expert, but I can tell you I'm an eating expert. And, uh, you know, that's where, to me, the rubber meets the road. And uh, we want, really need to make sure that the cattleman who's the cow-calf producer actually gets to see what his or her work is producing so they know if they can go back and fix it. Does that make sense, Ken? No, it does. It, it really does. Um. Yeah, right now a lot of people never see the results yeah. of their work. They just send and, their cattle uh, and and they don't even know where yeah. it goes usually. And that's how we're going to get better as a an industry as a country is that people get to see their output, and then we'll we'll give them back scores and say, hey, this is what you're doing good. This is what you need to improve on. 
And boy, I'm really excited to see what the whole industry is going to look for. But from the customer's perspective, just think about the improvement in the eating experience over the next five or 10 years. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. I have a good promotional plan for you guys that I just came up with on yeah. the spot. Yeah. Let's send let's send everybody yeah. uh everybody in the country one of those Wagyu ribeyes. Oh. And we'll it, it's sold. That's the easiest thing to do, right? Well, here's the funny thing. You know, one of our one of our attorneys, we sent her one and it took her three and a half weeks to open it up because it had to be like a whole process. Like she was so intimidated about it. She had to, okay, I got to thaw it out one day. I got to do it the next. And okay, then I'm going to cook it. I mean, it was, it was intimidating. And that's what we really help Chef Andre is going to help uh, consumers do is learn all how to cook all these cuts that your grandparents knew how to cook. And, and then put little spins on the ball. Because um, that'll be the fun part is once you get this recipe down to how do you do it under these specifications, what modifications can you make there? And, you know, that's going to be the fun part uh, for people because, uh, you know, that with there's probably going to be half the amount of restaurants left in our country as there were a year ago. But people are going to have to learn how to cook for themselves because the price of going out to dinner, it, it has to escalate to pay for all these costs. Mm. So. Uh, and since you got nothing else to do, because the joke was that my family's already watched everything on Netflix, and <laughs> half of everything on Amazon Prime Video or whatever it's called, um, you got to find other ways to entertain yourself. So we've tried to make make ourselves bread, and we realize how poor we are at doing that. Um, you know, and all these other meals, and uh, you know, it's really kind of a new form of entertainment. So yeah. Well, I think uh, I mean. We're on the right track. I mean, you guys are on the right track as United Harvest as uh, building this website to try to take down the divide between the producer and the consumer. I think that's what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just there's yeah. a huge divide between the producer and the consumer right now, and it's only getting bigger. And, and what mm -hmm. you guys are starting to do is you're starting to bridge that gap and and try to push more yeah. incentives right towards on. the producers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that we, on the other end, as a consumers, get a high quality product, and in turn, we create a better relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think. I mean, I think it's incredible, and obvious. I mean, obviously, uh, as the presenting sponsor of the podcast network, I mean, we. I wouldn't want to present a company that I didn't think was doing everything ethically and honestly. And I mean, from the first conversation that Matt and I had. I knew that you guys were were on the right track, and this was something that needed to be done. Uh, I'm I'm just excited to be along for the ride, and I'm excited to help with your guys's part in the communication to the consumers. I'm very very excited for our partnership in that aspect. Thank you, and it's going to be important as we roll this out to other markets. Um, in addition to bringing on all those other, you know products from farmers and artisans, whether you're making honey or coffees or those type of things, um, we want to make sure that you all feel like you have a platform to relate directly to the customer. And, and that's really the purpose of the website. And then in addition to the company, we really want to help build out this livelihood again for the small family butchers 
and uh, we can have another show to talk about that but uh, uh we really want to build that uh skill set back up as a country uh, because as you know working in your job canon uh <clears throat> there's a lot to learn on on how you butcher an animal and and how you can actually properly serve that to your customers yeah yeah i'm stoked guys I really am. Uh, I want to tell everybody once more that's listening. Um, they United Harvest has uh, incredible products. Angus beef, Hooterite pork from Canada up north. A eh? um, we've they've got American grass fed grass fed lamb. Not some of that New New Zealand stuff. We're not, they're not serving that stuff here. Okay, it, it's overrun on that island. We can't have it here anymore. Um, and then you guys have the uh, American Angus Wagyu cross beef. That's a mouthful too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the Japanese American Wagyu cross. It's uh, probably the nicest treat you can give yourself and your family. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, and they're going to hear ads in the middle of this about United Harvest. That's why I love this. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to get everything. I love it. Uh, no, but I, I appreciate you guys sitting down and taking time with me. Uh, and, and just telling the public, uh, I mean, first of many public appearances for you guys trying to communicate with the consumers and trying to educate everybody right. into what you guys are doing yeah, thanks. Thanks and, and what process you guys are trying to start. So I, I'm just, like I said before, I'm excited to be a part of it. I'm, I'm happy you guys came on to talk about it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yep. Time's limited, so you must listen carefully. I will have an episode next week bet on it bet me anybody reply to me shoot me a dm bet me 100 bucks i'll have an episode next week i know i've been saying that i'm going back to regular schedule in the month of november and on we're doing it i'm bringing you more episodes more interviews oh my gosh i'm so hyped up guys i like i you know when i said the bear media podcast network is growing up in the world because we have ads now as you heard, um, I am doing this outro in a closet in my girlfriend's closet. I'm look, I'm, you can hear the hangers. I'm, I'm literally looking through all of her dresses right now. This is, I am being sarcastic. So if you're, if you're kind of tuned in now, you're, you're, you're the true fan right here. You're, you're the, you're the true listener. I don't even let, I hate that. I just said fan. I hate that. Uh, you're the true listener here. This is it. I'm in my girlfriend's closet. I'm looking at her jeans, her shoes, her shoe rack. I'm looking at a full-size mirror right here. She's got her jewelry in it. It's real nice turquoise. Um, none of that that I bought her. I don't know where she got it. Must have had some other boyfriends, I guess. But uh, whatever, it happens. Okay, I'll see you next week. Uh, you know I love you guys. Have a good time. Be safe out there. Um, and yeah i don't even know what to say about what's happening now okay so i'll see you later bye <laughs>